This episode of Love Rants discusses topics that may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Pop Sugar's Love Rants is brought to you by Yuli, an innovative online healthcare platform exclusively for women that says buck that to the traditional healthcare system. Get online and get faster access to women's health and medicine by visiting yuli.com.au. Hello and welcome to Pop Sugar's Love Rants. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we're recording and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'm Melissa Mason, a journalist, podcaster and the host of Love Rants. We're here to have conversations that get to the heart of various topics that fall under the broad umbrella of love, sex and relationships. Throughout this series, I'll sit down with someone different as we navigate the vulnerability, embarrassment and preciousness of love and self-love. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Love Rants, Pop Sugar's podcast, where we really go into everything and anything. Nothing is off limits, as we were just discussing with our latest guest, Erin Barnett. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. So excited to have you on. Um, I've been following your struggles online with reproductive health and it's really like it's so I think like pertinent to now for women because, you know, we've been talking a lot about like the silence of women's pain struggles, particularly with reproductive health. Um, there's been so much lately about, you know, doctors not listening to women and and all of these you know, health issues that people are only just discovering now that they have because for so long they'd been saying like, I'm in pain, I have a problem and doctors just being like, well, we don't know like what's going on or, you know, you're just like complaining and, you know, that whole thing of like if men had periods, like the world would be a different place. (laughs) Completely different if males experienced half of what us females go through. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But you've had like a particularly bad experience, I suppose. So can you tell listeners a bit about your journey with reproductive health? Because I read that you had 17 surgeries since you were 14. Yes. So um, I was diagnosed at a very young age with um, polycystic ovary syndrome. And uh, it wasn't until I was, I think I was like 19 that I was diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, So during all those years from 14 to now, 28 years old, I've had 17 surgeries. Um, During that Mm. time, I've had multiple cysts removed. I even had a three kilo cyst. Um, I had an ovary removed and then a fallopian tube removed at a different time. And then just recently I had a total hysterectomy because of all the struggles and that that I've gone through. Mm, That's crazy, like a three kilogram cyst. How old were you when that got removed? I was 14, almost turning 15, and um, it was huge. They thought I was pregnant, so they did two um, pregnancy tests on the spot in front of my mum and then also a blood test to confirm I wasn't pregnant, and then they also did an ultrasound. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, and you're just there like, I am not pregnant, I swear. I know. And it's so awkward because my mum was in the room and I had just gotten a boyfriend. So my mum was like, you can tell me you're having sex, but it's that kind of conversation where if you tell your mum, you're going to get told off. But I hadn't had sex yet. So I was just trying to convince her that I swear I'm not pregnant. Yeah. Oh gosh. That was so, that's so much to go through at such a young age too. And so that's obviously like, like, so what age did you get your period? Like did the pain start as soon as you started to get your period or was it before then? 
So I got my period at 14 um, just before I had my surgery and I actually had my period when I went in for surgery and mm. um, then when I woke up I didn't have a period anymore because they had like cleaned me out, like a curette, right. is that what it's called? Yeah. And um, my pain, my period was always really, really painful but I've got two sisters and, um, and my mum and I watched them getting their period and them suffering. So I thought it was just normal. I was actually quite frightened to get my period because I watched my sisters like on the floor, hunched over in pain, like sweating, upset, crying. And I was like, oh God, being a woman sucks. But I had no idea what was in store for me. Yeah. So like your whole family had struggled, I guess, with like reproductive health issues, but yours was particularly like shockingly bad. Is that what you're sort of saying? Yeah. So my sisters and my mum, they all, and myself, we've all got PCOS. Um, Mm -hmm. But on my nan's side, so my grandmother, Barbara, she had endometriosis. So it seems that I just got the best of both worlds and I suffered with both. None of my sisters have had surgery for their PCOS, but they did do IVF to have their babies. Right. And so PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Can you sort of explain what it's like, I suppose, to live with that? Yeah. So PCOS or just POS, um, it's a hormonal disorder and it can cause you to have really large ovaries and small cysts um, on the outside or inside. Um, Mm. It's actually really misunderstood and not like really researched about, I don't think, because they still don't know what causes PCOS. Um, So the best Mm action that they can take is trying to turn your ovaries off to try and stop the hormones but sometimes that makes it worse and I've had every cyst under the sun I've had like Mm. I said a three kilo cyst I've had two dermoid cysts which is really gross um it actually has hair skin and nails in it (gasps) and what yeah and when my doctor um cut me cut it out he cut it open and it was like full of black hair like as if drain hair like from the drain it looked like that because he took a photo and he showed me that's kind of cool that's kind of and I was like (laughs) I mean I was really interested (laughs) (laughs) I was interested at the time because I thought does that mean if I was to have kids my child would have black hair because yeah that's like really (laughs) crazy but they take quite a long time to develop these dermoid cysts and um during the times that I had to grow at two separate times, I feel like they could have been avoided from getting bigger because I was having so many surgeries. So someone could have seen it, but they were just really shit surgeons. <laughs> so oh they didn't gosh, see I it. I can't believe that, that they were just sitting there for so long, causing you pain and no one had spotted them. Yeah. So I had uh, one surgeon who, um, you could see it on the ultrasound. There was this big white um, large thing. And it was, they said that looks like hair. So then I went Mm. in for surgery and I came out and nothing had been done. And I remember the surgery, the surgeon lady telling me that, um, everything looks fine. It's just an enlarged ovary because I'm getting my period. And then, um, I was in so much pain for months and months, went back to a different gyno and they operated on me and said, they don't know how she could have missed that because it's 10 times the size of a normal ovary. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's just that must be so. It must have been so frustrating and exhausting. Like, did you just feel like every time you were going to go for another surgery, you're like, "What now?" Like, yeah, it was it was a struggle because um, it was all under my mum's healthcare. So we only had like the extras, and we always went through the public health system because my mum was like a single mum raising four kids, mm. and um, 
so we always had to wait and I just always felt bad and I felt like it was so much pressure on my mum. So it's like I didn't really want to complain too much because I knew that if I went back to the doctor, something else would be there. Um, mm. But then I realised that having really good healthcare at such a young age would have been so much more beneficial for me. Yeah, so, like, yeah, it would have just been – and that's so, so much pressure, like, on a kid, but obviously your brain's going to go there. Like, you're aware of how much it's costing and, and you know, even though I'm sure your mum was never putting that pressure on you, it's like you know because you're old enough to understand that. Yeah, like, there was no pressure on me, but it was like, you know, the conversations you would hear as a kid, um, mm-hmm. like your parents talking in the kitchen about, oh, how much something's going to cost, like, I wonder where mm. we're going to get that money. And so you just felt really bad because um, if you didn't have private health insurance, the surgery is like $5,000. Um, and the healthcare system, you'd be waiting like two years minimum, which I did have to wait a few times. And then there was one surgery where they couldn't wait. So my mum did have to pay 5000 But now being older and having my own private health insurance and seeing one of the best gynecologists ever, I just think to myself, if I, we just had money back then, everything would have been so different. But like, I'm not complaining because I did have a good life. <laughs> Yeah, but also like if the healthcare system had supported you more, you know, like you shouldn't as a as a kid in pain, it's like it should be easy for you to be getting treatment. You shouldn't be having to wait two years for, you know, a, a, a surgery that's going to cause you less pain. Yeah, absolutely. I even had one surgeon who was really nice um, and he offered if I could wait an extra three weeks, he would do it for free through the, pri- uh, through the public. Mm. So that was really good. Well, that's nice. At least there's some, you know, nice people along the way. And so yeah. <laughs> what, at, what age were, at what age were you like, I want a hysterectomy? Like I've looked into this. This is what I want. Uh, I think when I was about 22 because mm-hmm. I was then diagnosed with endometriosis, which I always thought I had because during one of my surgeries when I was just a teenager – they told me that it looks like I have something called endometriosis, but they didn't do any biopsies or anything because they thought it was unnecessary for someone my age. And then I was diagnosed with endometriosis and it just made so much sense. And going through all that, looking back now, if I had gone through with the hysterectomy at 22, my life would have been so different because I've spent majority of my 20s um, in and out of hospital mm. just having multiple surgeries. Gosh. And so can you explain, um, I feel like endometriosis, I know a bit about it, but um, can you explain just for listeners like what that looks like? Yeah. So endometriosis is a disease where the tissue similar to the lining of a uterus grows um, outside of the uterus. Um, it can cause right. really, really bad pain in your pelvis and sometimes it can make it harder to fall pregnant, but it also it can grow anywhere inside your body. There have been reports on and research done on women who have had it in their lungs, bowels, bladder, uh, literally everywhere you can think of, it can go there. So what happens is the lining, it's not the same lining, it's similar. When mm. you get your periods, um, your body reacts to those hormones and it tells your body to, you know, release that blood and you get the crampy feeling. So your body reacts to that every everywhere. So if you're getting those hormones um, for your period and you've got endometriosis in your bladder or your bowel, you're going to feel it there. Right. Okay. So it's hormone related. Oh my gosh. So you've, so basically you're 22 and you're like, I am done. I've looked into this. I'm happy with this decision. And then, so, but it obviously like you're, you said you're 28 now. So that's, I'm doing the math. So I'm terrible at math. Six years. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, how many years is that? Um, so it took six years to get the surgery. And w- what was that 
you know, process like? So I, every time I would go and see a new gyno, um, I would ask for a hysterectomy and they would say no, but they would take out a cyst or my ovary or a fallopian tube, but they always wanted to make sure I had one ovary left. And mm-hmm. then, which is just frustrating because now that I feel like a brand new person, I look back and I think what a waste of money, time, like I've wasted mm-hmm. my life. But getting the hysterectomy, like, I can't even put it into words. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. But trying to get someone to do that for you, it doesn't just happen overnight because they look at you like if you haven't got, say, ovarian cancer or cervical cancer or anything like that, then there's no real need, medical need for you to have it removed. So they just they are doing it for your own benefit. But I I was looking at it like I'm in a lot of pain here. I'm not living. I'm literally just a human. I'm just a human body laying on the couch and then laying in bed every day. I'm not doing anything. How is this living? Yeah, it's like they're not looking at your quality of life. Like I like I totally, like you're saying, you get that they're thinking of you and thinking, oh, maybe at one day you're going to regret this decision, inverted commas, but you're there saying like you're not looking at like my whole life, like my whole life is not of good quality right now while I am in this yeah. state. I'm I'm not too sure like where it started getting worse because um, I've always lived like a pretty good life with my PCOS and then endometriosis but I, I've realised not too long ago that I think the moment that it got worse was when I came out of Love Island I was taking a pill, a contraceptive pill called Brevener and mm-hmm. then um, I don't know if you remember or it was around, it was on the news that Brevener started um, – it was like out of stock worldwide. So then I was changed into another pill. And then ever since that moment, everything just got so like terrible. It just went downhill from there. And even when I, we did put my, put me back on Brevener when it came back to Australia, it didn't help. So I'm not too sure if that was like a massive hormonal shift or something in my body, Mm. but yeah, I can't really pinpoint the moment for some reason it got worse. But then I think also all these surgeries can't be good for your body. Yeah. And this is the thing, isn't it? Because I feel like not on the same level at all, but I had such weird experiences going off the pill um, and on the pill and side effects that like, I feel like I wasn't told about. And it feels almost like there's just not enough research. And this has been a topic that has come up several times on this podcast. That it's like, there's not enough research into women's health because like, in a way, it's not been that long since we've been not considered like a secondary human, right? Like women's yeah. rights in general, it, that's a pretty recent historical thing. And so, and that's still an ongoing process. And it just feels like, you know, like that, like they, you know, they, sh- they should know why that was happening for you and they did, they don't and you don't. And then, so you're just armed with just like no information and your body is just reacting to things. So that's just such a horrible experience to go through when you've got such intense pain, you know? Yeah, I agree. And also a lot of the doctors that you would see, they would all be like male and don't get mm-hmm. me wrong though. Some female gynecologists can be just as bad as the males, but when you go and see a male doctor, it's really annoying when they say, oh, I totally understand what you're going through. And you just kind of want to punch them because you think how, <laughs> like, how do you know? And then I've even had a doctor say, oh, you know, my wife and my daughters go through that. So I understand. And I'm like, but you don't actually understand. Like you can visualize it and try to sympathize, but you don't actually know. Um, no. And 
and a lot of people like I think so many people these days are being diagnosed with endometriosis and you have some people commenting being like back in my day that stuff wasn't around none of us got it and I was like back in your day you guys like were you even allowed to go to the doctor and complain about period stuff like I don't even think you were even allowed to mention that stuff around certain people like I'm glad that this day and age that women are talking about more taboo subjects and trying to get the help that they need for their own health. Absolutely. And that's like the same with mental health. Like that I love when like older people are like, oh, everyone's got anxiety and depression now. And it's like, no, you all had that. It's just that it was like no one was going and getting diagnosed. And it's like, yeah, how, I, know. I was literally talking about this the other day, how like um, PTSD wasn't even properly researched and looked into until after the Vietnam War. Like that is so recent. That's like the oh. 70s and the 80s. So it's like everything existed. It's just that people suffered in silence. Yeah, absolutely. They suffered in silence. And I think that if you look back, it's like my sisters, my oldest sister is about 42. And then the Mm. other one, I think she's 36. So and then my mom, she's 60 something. And my nan, she was 79 before she passed away. And she used to tell me about how they were always in pain, this and that, but it's totally normal and the clotting of their periods and the heavy Mm. periods and all that. But that to them was just, you know, they're passing on their experience and their wisdom saying what to expect when now I hope that there's like a new generation that's born where they see women suffering and they go, oh, that's not normal. We're going to get that sorted Mm. for you. And I think they will. And this is the thing is people will look back at this point where you're battling this out and so on and be like, wow, I can't believe that we were so naive about women's pain and we had such little research and we were being so difficult about you know, solutions to it. So yeah, like I really do think that you and other people who are going through these experiences now will be, you know, the examples for the future of like, this was horrific that we put women through this. Yeah. And I think there's just still needs to be a lot more funding, obviously for the research, because not too long ago, there was like, this new, it was all over the news on Channel 9 and stuff saying that, you know, this is a break in endometriosis studies. They've now like opened a clinic or something. And it was all about women who have endometriosis who want to have a baby. So I feel like that's a different subcategory. It's not Mm -hmm. about researching about endometriosis and the pain it causes and how they can try and fix the pain and all those stuff. It was all about getting women pregnant and that's really frustrated me and people were tagging me in the article and I was like I don't give a shit I don't want to see that because why are we always focusing on women having kids why don't we focus on seeing if we can find a cure for endometriosis or help their pain even by two percent before being like here I'll help you have a baby but even after that you might be in worse pain with your endo yes actually I really wanted to talk to you about this because I've read a couple of things that you wrote online after you got your hysterectomy um where people had been saying to you but you're going to want kids or like you know and like what what about now what if you regret this because you might want kids and you wrote please remember we are all amazing with or without kids having children does does not define you do whatever makes you happy and healthy and then later on you said I came to accept the fact that in this lifetime I won't be a mother it's obvious that this is the path I was given and I don't see the need to push for something that is clearly not meant for me and this to me is so refreshing because I do think that we still glorify the idea of every woman becoming a mother or having the chance to become a mother and striving for kids as like the ultimate goal. 
Yes, and you also hear the saying, um, you don't know love until you've had your own kids. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. And, <laughs> I look, I understand that, you know, that I, I kind of get it to a point, but so many people are worried about, oh, but what if I change my mind and are you sure you don't want kids? But no one gives a shit that I'm in a lot of pain. I'm going broke from all these medical like surgeries and stuff that I have to go to and go through no one gives a shit about that so you want me to get pregnant be broke and put the baby in a really bad position for its whole life just because that's what society says I'm meant to do now we just want to take a moment to share about our sponsor Yuli Yuli is saying fuck that to the traditional healthcare system by offering a hassle-free online service that empowers women with a modern approach to discreet, convenient healthcare and medicine. Get faster access to medical certificates, treatments and prescriptions like the contraceptive pill, emergency contraception such as the morning after pill, acne treatments, weight management, sexual health, even assistance to help you quit vaping. And it's all delivered to your door or inbox thanks to their innovative online health service. So say buck that and get online by visiting yuli at yuli.com.au to get your health sorted. Yeah, and this is the thing is it's like, you know, exactly what you're saying. Like, of course, like it's a potential concern and it's very good, I'm sure, like for doctors to go through like several rounds of saying to you, like, are you definitely 100% sure? And like, this is like, you know, if you get a hysterectomy, this is off the table completely. Are you definitely sure that's what you want? But then at the same time, yeah, like when you factor in the pain that you're experiencing and your quality of life, and as you're saying, the quality of your life, if you had kids, like, of course, that's going to play into how you feel about it. And it's just crazy that we're in like this day and age where it's like, 2023 you know women are really you know can do anything just as like the barbie movie told us and Mm -hmm. you know we're we're at this point where you know we're still fixated on women becoming mothers even when people and you, you see this all the time when people are like i don't want kids i definitely don't want kids and the arguments that are like thrown against women that just adamantly are like, no, I've, I really just don't feel the desire to have a child of like, oh, but you will, but you will. Like you must have gotten that a lot, huh? Like I got it so much. And um, to get the hysterectomy, to get approved, it wasn't just like a little conversation with my gynecologist. It was I had to go get a second opinion. He suggested a doctor um, and she actually said no, she didn't agree. And I I absolutely hated her. (laughs) And um, (laughs) then I had to go see, I had to go see a psychiatrist who had to make sure that I was mentally stable to make this decision. And I was like, I knew what was going to happen before and after the surgery. And then I had to go see a chronic pain specialist and then um, a pelvic floor specialist. So it took forever. Like, it's not just a simple Mm. thing. And like, I just got frustrated when I, and I even said it to the psychologist. I said to her, it baffles me that I'm here to, try and convince you that I am mentally okay to not be a mother. But if I got pregnant on the streets, I wouldn't have to come see you to make sure that I'd be a good mother. But I have Mm. to see you to make sure that I'm going to be a good not mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's also like, I mean, I, I, I fully support, and like you've said this as well, like you support that there is a process that you have to go through, but then it probably gets to a point where it's like, this is your body, right? Like it's your body and your choice, but it's, it's starting to feel like talking about that process, like it stops feeling like your choice. Oh, absolutely. And because, and also 
a lot of people wouldn't even go ahead with it because it's so damn expensive to go to all these appointments, to tick all these boxes, to have the surgery, which is also expensive on its own. So it's just, you almost want to give up, but it was a thing where if you want to have kids so badly and, you know, I do feel sorry for the women that it's unexpected that they get this diagnosis and some people have to Mm. have a hysterectomy without wanting it for other medical reasons. But if someone is saying to you they don't want to have kids, can you just take out my uterus? And they're like, no, we can't do that because you're too young and you might regret it. You know, the cutoff age is like 40, so come back to me after them. That frustrates me because if you go see a cosmetic surgeon, like for me instance, I've got my boobs done and I had to Mm -hmm. sign a contract to say this is the size we're going, blah, blah, blah. And the day I went in for surgery, I changed my mind and I wanted to go bigger than what he suggested and he told me Mm. the risks that were associated with that and he told me that you could get all these bad issues with it and I still went ahead with it because I signed a contract and actually everything he said did go wrong. (laughs) But I didn't... (laughs) But I didn't get mad at him because he had told me and I I knew and I understood what he was saying. So to get a hysterectomy, they say so many women come back and tell me off and get upset because I've taken out their uterus and they try to sue me. And I'm like, so that's not me though. If I sign a contract, I'm, it's binding. I know what I'm signing up for. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things that you can do to your body that are irreversible in some way. And like, yeah, it's just a contract and someone explaining to you, the potential ramifications, which is obviously important. But then I think, I think it comes down to that. We're still really fixated. Yeah. On women being mothers and this idea that if you like lose your uterus, you've lost your like womanhood. It's, it's wild that we are still, I think so attached to this idea of like, you must always have the ability to have children. And, and you see it even with like the way that you know, we talk to each other as women as well. And it's something that I've become really conscious of, of like, not, you know, like, you know, that whole thing of like, people get married or whatever, or they get to a certain age. And then, you know, the next question is, oh, when are you having kids? Or are you thinking about kids? And like, even that's so gross. And yeah, like, what are some of the things people, I guess, were saying to you after you'd had your hysterectomy? So it's happened. Were people still coming at you with that kind of stuff? Yeah, they they say it all the time. But I also got a lot of women who had a hysterectomy and they contacted me saying, you know, you're going to go through a grieving process because you're not going to um, have your uterus anymore. So you're going to grieve your period or you're going to feel this grief of loss oh. of the children and all that. And I was like so anxious because I was like, I don't really understand why I would have that feeling when this is what I want. And now it's been like eight weeks post-op and I have not grieved anything. Like I am not sad. I am the most happiest person ever. I <laughs> I feel like I must be the most cold-hearted person because I'm not grieving anything, <laughs> nothing. Actually, the only thing I'm mad about is I got this at 28. I wish I got it when I was 22. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing though, is like, I don't think that makes you cold-hearted. I think it's just that you clearly like your experience was one where you know, like you said, like it in this lifetime, this is your lot that you got, you know, and we all get, you know, things like, you know, unfortunately there are just situations that come upon us that we can't control. But for you, it was like the way that you can rectify this is, you know, this is, this was the choice that you wanted to make to rectify this pain and this constant, like, you Mm -hmm. know, inability to live your life fully. And 
that's, you know, like, like I think that, yeah, sure. I'm sure there are people that would go through that grieving process, you know, for you, like you're saying, you were like on the couch in pain most of the time, like you weren't living a full life. And so actually I was going to say, ask you is like, what does life look like now that it's been eight weeks? Yeah, you're right. And I think it's important too, though, when I talk about my experience is that I talk about my experience and I answer questions that are asked about my hysterectomy. So instead of like, if I see someone on social media about to get a hysterectomy, I'm not going to contact them and say, oh, just be careful because this happens because every single Mm. person is different. So when you are bombarding someone with all these, oh, be careful, this could happen or what ifs and, you know, then that that makes them more anxious and nervous about what could come. So I would just suggest that unless the question is asked to you, don't mention anything, um, even if it's like, oh, I just want to warn you, this can happen post-op because every surgeon is different and your body is different. So majority of what people told me I would go through, I didn't go through. And I was so anxious the day of surgery. That's so true. And I think people mean well, but it's a big social media thing as well. Don't you think like we really love to like send our input and you see it like on, in the comment sections a lot on online on you know media sites or on influencers pages and and prominent people's pages where like they're they're not even asking the question they're just talking about something and then you see all this advice just flow in and it is like kind of detrimental because you know one person's experience isn't another like exactly like what you're saying like for you your decision what was right for you was to get a hysterectomy but that's not going to be the case for everybody and nor is your experience going to be the same as everybody's. Absolutely. And now post-op, my life is, it's almost like I don't know what to do because um, I haven't had a proper full-time job in over a year because I was working during um, COVID at the vaccination hubs. But since then, um, I've just been having so many surgeries. So I haven't really been doing proper full-time work. Like I just want to get out of the house and have a schedule where I go to work and I come home. Um, I just want to have a normal life. I want to go and do things with my friends because I can, but to get out of that Mm. mental bubble that you put yourself in where I always would cancel events or come home early because I knew that I would be in pain, but now going outside of the house and doing things, I'm actually not in pain. And I have to tell myself that it's okay if I want to go for a walk or go for lunches or dinners, because I'm actually not going to be sore. So I can stay longer than what I used to. And that's been a big challenge is trying to like retrain my brain on how to live. Actually, that's so interesting that you say that because a friend of mine actually had cancer and she got the all clear. So she got in remission, which was amazing. Oh, that's so good. And she was saying, yeah, and she was telling me um, something that really shocked her was that like she was almost afraid once she got the full like, you know, in remission announcement because she was almost preparing for the worst every time. And then because she'd had years and years of just like, you know, going through the pain process and the fear that once she came out the other side, she was actually, yeah, like it was a real mental battle to find normal again, because what does normal look like when you've had, and for you, like from 14, you'd been experiencing this crippling pain that affected your whole life. Like, of course, it's going to take a while. Like what, um, I suppose, what are you doing to to kind of work on that, I, I guess? 
I think it's just starting slow and like at the moment I signed back up to the gym so I started doing Pilates and other gym classes and Mm. even to wake up in the morning and convince myself to go and not cancel because I would cancel before because I'd be like oh god I'm too sore this morning like I'm not even going to bother going at four o'clock when really it's like I'll have those same habits happen during the day now and I'll be like oh do I really want to go like it's just I've just become a hermit and it's just um my natural instincts now is to stay home and I hate that because I used to love going out and being like the life of the party and being very social. But um, I think the most, most, I don't know, the struggle post-hysterectomy is that I have been on strong painkillers for such a long time that um, I know that you can get like dependent on them, but I didn't think I was until um, I decided to just like post-op, I didn't need it anymore threw everything away Mm. don't need that shit and I started getting really bad withdrawal symptoms and I went to the doctor and they were like you can't just stop that and I was like what do you mean I'm not in pain I don't need to take it and they said no we have to taper you down it's very dangerous for your heart for your body it can go into shock and I was like I don't think they worded that to me when I was using the pain medication through all this, but it's not like it was something I couldn't not take because I was having Mm. surgery. So I was on anesthetic, all the strong like morphine and all that. And then you have the endone when you get home and then two months later, I'd be back in surgery and then six months later back in surgery. So there wasn't ever a time I could have a really big break. And I think when they tell you not to take strong pain medications because you can become addicted or dependent, I think they really need to discuss like just how much your body can shut down once you stop taking it because that has been the, that has been the worst struggle. And I actually had to go to the doctors because I've done nursing in the past. Like I knew that there's a tapering down plan and I knew all this. I had to actually go to them and say, Hey, I need to taper down. And like, once he told me I had to stop like not just abruptly stop it. And I was like, okay. And then I walked away from that doctor's appointment with no guidance. So then I made another doctor's appointment like a couple of days later and said, I know that I have to taper down. So can we get some sort of documentation happening? Like I need to come and check in weekly. We need to discuss my dose because I want to be done by like the end of September. Like I had to do that all myself. Yeah. Wow. Like, so once again, it's just like this whole process of like the medical field, just not really like giving you the help that they're supposed to need. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so it's very frustrating. So I know that when people think about getting a hysterectomy and you think things are going to be great after, yeah, they can be, but it's the medication side that can also be a bit of a struggle. So I'm getting my Mm. life together, but having to take a strong pain medication when I'm actually having the best day ever is really odd for me because I associate taking pills with pain. So to have some sort of advocate for your own, like your own health would be really beneficial, especially if you don't know much about, you know, medications or what's been happening to you post hysterectomy. So just make sure you advocate for yourself because no one else is going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think also I was going to ask you, like, what do you like, what do you think needs to change in the system? Like now that you've gone through this whole experience, you've kind of to a degree come out the other side. What do you wish was different for other people going through this? So I've always said this and sometimes it can like you either are for it or against it, but I've never changed my opinion. I think when you're younger, so um, for me to have that surgery when I was young, it was only because I had an extremely large cyst. But to keep going back to try and get diagnosed with endometriosis, it would have been a struggle and it's a struggle for many women. 
because doctors are telling you to try all different types of pills to see if that helps, but they're trying to help something. They're not sure if you've got it. Do you know what I mean? So the only way to diagnose endometriosis is through a surgery to take a biopsy and send that off to the labs. So I hate that doctors are giving 16-year-olds different pills, try this, try that, come back in a year or six months, and then they've got worse symptoms from or side effects from those tablets they've been taking. But if they have the surgery then they can get a true diagnosis. And if it's not that, then they can stop taking all those contraceptive pills and all different stuff for something that they don't even have. And if they do have it, then they can start a new treatment plan on something that may benefit them. So I know that surgery does have its own risks and I know that it can be dangerous, but also taking multiple different tablets can also have their own risks and can be really dangerous as well. So if I had my own kids and she was going through the same things as me, I wouldn't tell her to take this pill I would be like I want her to have surgery to tell me if she's got that or not because if she does we'll take it from there and if she doesn't we'll we'll start searching for what it could be yeah because especially like it's also prolonging that pain period if you're just trial and erroring the whole way through like and I guess again that comes down to this idea that like yeah women's pain isn't as serious as they're saying it is yeah and also because they they, like I know that they don't want you to have surgery at a young age, but I mean you could be diagnosed and then have a better quality of life if you're diagnosed younger. And some of those tablets they get you to take, you don't. They tell you to take it for like three months, six months, to, and then come back. Like you're suffering in those three to six months. I'd rather have surgery and have like eight weeks off and then have a diagnosis or try and find out what else the problem could be. As women, I think that the government should like we should have. Medicare should cover um, endometriosis treatments and surgeries, like, I don't know, maybe like three a year or something like that, or even just one a year, because at the moment, the wait time in the public health system is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's a pain. It's, It's an ongoing pain. Like, that's the thing. It's not like, oh, I'm waiting to get like my knee reconstructed, but in the meantime, I can live like a pretty full life and like walk around. It just needs to happen at some point. And I can't do any like strenuous stuff. I'm talking from my own experience of having a knee knee (laughs) surgery. But like, you know, like when I needed to get knee surgery, there was a wait time, but it was like, oh, you're fine. Just don't play nipple. You know what I mean? Like it was like, don't do anything like crazy. But like, I didn't really have any pain. It was not really a big deal. I think when you're talking about something that gives chronic pain, like crippling pain, like takes you out of school, takes you out of like your life there shouldn't really be extended wait times on surgery for that. No, and I like also some sort of like funding or money for women through Centrelink or something like a, I don't know, like a disability pension kind of thing because um, some women will have to quit their jobs or quit school or university because they can't work, they're in too much pain and then they have no money to go to these important doctor's appointments. So how can they get diagnosed or get better when they can't even afford to live or afford to get petrol to drive to those doctor's appointments? Um, so that's really important as well. It's it's just a massive struggle really. Yeah. And I was going to ask um, what is your advice for women listening to this that might be dealing with like, you know, chronic pain in this space, like whether that be diagnosed endometriosis or PCOS or whether that's just like they're not sure what's going on. They just have like shockingly painful periods or pain all the time. Like what's your advice? My advice would be to 
know that you're not going crazy and that you're not alone and to just keep fighting for answers. And if something doesn't sound right, then it's it's not right. Something's not right. And mm. if you keep going to the doctors about the same problem and you're not getting a different answer, then go to a different doctor. You're paying for those doctor's appointments 90% of the time if they're not bulk billed. So you want to get your money's worth. So don't let someone who's got a large degree tell you that your pain's not that important and that, you know, it's all in your head because they're not you. And don't be intimidated by other people who said that they've dealt with this stuff before and, you know, they lived a happy life if they just did yoga or Pilates or ate organic that shit's all bullshit. <laughs> so just know you're not going crazy and um, reach out to people online. So lots of different Facebook groups or Instagram or anything just makes you feel more, I don't know, not alone in situations when you watch other people mm. go through it. But then also um, for women or people who have partners, sometimes relationships can fail and they get really shit because um, some partners just don't understand what you're going through and find if you're laying on the couch a lot that you're lazy and they can be super inconsiderate. Just know that you're not the problem, it's them. Yeah, yeah, like basically be your own advocate, I suppose. Yeah, but it, it can feel super isolating and you can feel super alone mm. and I totally sympathise with women. But that's why if you've got a phone or a laptop, just reach out to people online, especially those Facebook um, groups. They're really good. Yeah, find your community, I suppose, right? Yes. Well, thank you so much, Erin. I've learned so much and I'm so happy that you have sort of you know, to some degree come out the other side of this and, and really gotten what you'd been like trying to get for so long, you know, and like get that, get rid of a lot of that pain. Like what's your pain level now, like day to day? My pain level now is it's honestly like maybe 5% and that's only because they kept wow. my right ovary um, because mm-hmm. they, you know, if you remove your ovary at such a young age, you know, you can get heart disease, heart attack, stroke, all those kind of things. So they kept it in there. So that's the only time I feel pain is when my ovary is being a bit annoying. But my pain is like 95% gone. Wow, that's so good. I'm so happy yeah. for you that you finally got there. It's been the best thing ever. And I really appreciate you guys having me on here today because the more I talk about it, the more others will talk about it. Yeah, for sure. And I think like the more that we like acknowledge women's pain and, and, you know, that it, like you said, it's real. Don't let people tell you that you're not experiencing something that you are experiencing. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, right? Like it's not necessarily that, you know, everyone will require a hysterectomy or even surgery, but at the end of the day, your pain is your pain and you need to acknowledge it for sure. Absolutely. You're so right. And thank you everyone for listening to this first season of Love Rant. I have loved hosting it. I think we can all say that we got so much out of all of these guests and their incredible stories. And thank you again to Yuli for being the sponsor that made all of this happen. Follow yuli.com.au on Instagram and TikTok to stay up to date on all things women's health.